Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan, joined by Deirdre Bosa. She is the host of CNBC's Tech Check. Debo, welcome back to the pod and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, last episode of the year. I can't wait to get into it because it's just been such a wild year in the markets and tech especially. It's been a wild year. Like you and I started doing this, I think, routinely back in January. And, and again, covering some of these generative AI stories out of some of the names that you've covered for a very long time in the public markets and then some new ones that we've gotten very familiar with and spent a lot of time on, whether it's OpenAI or Anthropic or a few others. And there's been some twists and turns a little bit. But it's interesting as we kind of head into year end in 2020, 23, when we started this year, if you think about how negative the sentiment was towards the broad markets, towards the economy, towards some mega cap tech stocks, and, and you know the NASDAQ 100 is up 53% on the year. The S&P 500 is up nearly 25% on the year. And it's truly astounding with this magnificent seven being coined this year, You know, seven stocks that make up 30% of the S&P, 50% of the NASDAQ 100. And just to put some context around that, think about Apple and Microsoft. Each of these are about $3 trillion in market market cap. Each of them are up over 50% of the year. NVIDIA up over a trillion dollars in market cap, 234% of the year higher. Google up 60% of the year. Amazon up 82% of the year. Meta up nearly 200% of the year. Just amazing. I don't, I don't think anybody could have predicted this, but the enthusiasm in and around generative AI has literally been like the reason that we got through this regional banking crisis that seemed to hit Silicon Valley kind of hard back in March and the like. So let's just kind of reflect a little bit. I, I mean, in me and my career, I have to go back to the internet bubble to even just kind of experience or, or once again, put any context to the enthusiasm around this tech shift and in, in, in market sentiment. Thoughts like from you about this, because I have to assume you're feeling kind of similar. Yeah, especially when you look at the private markets, right? You see the valuations there have gotten so out of hand that they you can't even really compare them to the public market valuations. And there's not a whole lot to go on, I will say. You have to look at sort of reported revenue numbers this year. But you think about an open AI that's you know expected to have what, like one point three or one point four billion dollars in revenue this year with a valuation that could potentially be a hundred billion dollars. Similar story with Anthropic. Investors, especially here in Silicon Valley, but really the mega caps are so excited about this technology and they have the money to just pour into these companies. And, you know, you talk about the public markets. I'm looking at a chart of, you know, Apple, Amazon, Meta, Google, Microsoft, and 2022 was such a hard year. You almost forget that because they've just been off and seen these incredible rallies throughout 2023. But 2022 was really hard. And you look at Meta, Microsoft, and Amazon, at least, and they're kind of just, just making up for that. Whereas the Apple and Microsoft 
it's been more of a sort of steadier line upwards. Yeah. And that's that sort of flight to quality. I think it has to do with their monopolies, their balance sheets, you know, I mean, uh, all of the above. I I think the the fact that their their cash was finally earning a good return that had been a drag on some of these stories. If you think about Apple's valuation trading at 31 times, I think at one point last year was trading like 20 times or so. And that $80 billion in cash or whatever it was, net cash was, was a drag on it, right? In a zero interest rate environment. And obviously, you know, once the Fed started raising, that became a sort of a different story. But it is interesting when you think of just the mirror opposite of 2022 into 2023. If you just look at a whole host of things, we had the profit recession by many of these companies last year. The stock market was pricing an actual economic recession at the end of this year, right? And it's kind of interesting that we did have essentially flat EPS growth year over year in 2023, but the stock market raged, right? So as we think about normalizing interest rates and where they kind of settle out, it's going to have a huge impact in 2024, I think, on the tech sector in particular, and and many of these kind of longer duration ones that started to get hit very hard in 2021 when the Fed indicated that they were going to start to raise interest rates to battle inflation. And I just want to just kind of touch on that that point that you made in in the private markets is that it also brings me back, Debo, where, you know, when you start hearing about $100 billion trading at, let's say, 90 times sales, you know, you say to yourself, how can a company like that ever grow into that valuation? And, you know, last week there was a headline about Cisco buying a company for $650 billion, 33 times sales, Isovalent or something like that. And, and I just say to myself, okay, so this company has eight you know, times ARR, you know what I mean? Average recurring revenue. And I, and I say to myself, okay, maybe this company can grow into that valuation, but investors flocking into those massive valuations, whether it be Anthropic near a hundred times or open AI, you say to yourself, how can, when it finally gets to the public markets, how will investors ever be able to enjoy any profit growth? Because again, it's going to have to settle into that valuation. But for the mega cap tech companies, right? These investments for them, they're small. Even $13 billion for Microsoft has so much cash sitting on its balance sheet. Just to have an option on the buzziest generative AI company makes a lot of sense. Makes less sense for the venture capital world, which has different targets and they're not you know, raising money at the kind of rate that the mega caps have on their balance sheet. So it shouldn't be all that surprising. But when you mentioned Cisco, right, that was the 11th or something acquisition this year. I remember when um, they announced their acquisition of Splunk at $28 billion. And thinking at the time, what it said about enterprise tech, I thought was interesting because Splunk was one of these pandemic mountain stocks, right? Had run up had touched nearly $200 a share and then had this crash that many, many other software companies had throughout 2022. And at the end of 2021 was about $75. So the idea that Cisco is now waiting in says a few things about legacy tech, right? Cisco is not a mega cap tech company, but they made an acquisition. They're making acquisitions in very buzzy subsectors like artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. So could you see more of those as we get started this year, right? Especially if market's expecting the Fed to cut interest rates. It's not going to be the mega caps, which I found myself all year saying that these were defensive plays or GARPY, growth at a reasonable price. They're different. So that's why they kept going up in a higher interest rate environment. But it's going to be the turn of the Splunks and what was the company that they just announced? I couldn't. Esovalent. Esovalent. 
It's going to be their time. It could be their time next year. And if you were looking at making an acquisition, you probably want to do it sooner rather than later. That's a great point. I mean, we know that Alphabet and Amazon have been tripping over themselves to invest in Anthropic, right? Pushing that valuation up. And again, to your point, like the the, the numbers that they're investing are are kind of rounding errors. And it'll be really interesting to see if anyone takes um, a a, a run at um, Anthropic, which might be a really hard thing to do from a regulatory standpoint. And I think you and I have talked about that a little bit. And it's interesting what you mentioned, though, about you know maybe some of these smaller sorts of acquisitions. My friends over at RBC Capital had, I think about uh, two weeks ago, a, a RBC Insights and predictions in TMT for 2024. And, and one of those, um, I think third on their list was M&A activity likely accelerates in 2024. This is in the enterprise software space. And they list a bunch of names. And to me, I think that obviously is rates coming down. We saw a bunch of PE firms looking at software, I think about a year, year and a half ago. You know what I mean? So there might be some competition between strategic and also financial buyers of some of these assets. Thoughts there? Because again, strategic M&A would make a lot of sense in this environment if you're looking to kind of get a a leg up on some competitors and the whole idea of buying versus build would make some sense. And I think that's probably what Cisco had in mind here. There's just, there's so many software companies that that came public, right? In 2020 to end of 2021, let's call it, that there's a lot out there in terms of consolidation. I think that you have seen more strategics and tech companies become interested and you have to wonder if even it's getting a little frothier for the private equity companies. They had their turn. Are they still going to think of doing this? And, you know, you've seen like we, I talk about a Cisco and a Splunk. Splunk wasn't profitable, right? And Cisco was so willing to make that acquisition. Typically the private equity firms like to look at companies that they can turn some levers and turn profitable. And it's interesting to think about that crop of, of companies that went public in 2020 and 2021. And that was really the last bout of companies we saw coming to market. And you think about how disappointing in, in a year of 2023, where you, again, had the NASDAQ 100 up 50% and the NASDAQ composite up, you know, 43%. And, the, the you know, we had some big IPOs. We had Instacart. You covered that very closely at Clavio. And we had Arm, but there weren't too many others of any material size. And we've also covered some of the names that folks are expecting to come in 2024 in the tech space. And they're all kind of like low to mid single digit billion sort of IPO targets. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they try to get some of those to market and then what the competition is for M&A for some of these companies too, right? Because that might be a more attractive sort of exit if you think about how just some tech companies in over the last five years have kind of fared in in the, you know, the post IPO regime. It hasn't been that fantastic because one of the big reasons, and I think you and I can agree on this, is that a lot of these crossover funds have been participating in these late growth rounds, right? In these private tech companies. And therefore, you know, this kind of buyer that you would expect to buoy a deal post IPO plus the retail interest in it, they just don't exist anymore or to the extent that they did in in cycles past because they've already participated to a great deal. It's a great point. And that's still happening though, especially in those, you know, buzzy generative AI companies, you're getting some of the big crossover funds come in maybe at earlier levels, right? But that just may mean that they're bidding up the value and earlier point, like a Tiger Global has been pretty active continually, even even after pretty poor performance. After very, very poor performance, (laughs) if you think about it. You know, one one thing I want to kind of go back to, this was a theme that you and I talked a bit about in in the summer in July, right around the time the NASDAQ was kind of topping out before it had, you know, like more than a 10% decline from that then peak. And it was really talking about like the commercialization of some of this generative AI, right? And the monetization of it. And this was number four on RBC's list. 
we expect to see early but minimal signs of Gen AI monetization based on our conversation with public and private software companies, channel partners, and industry experts. Most customers are likely to remain in generative AI explosion mode in 2024 and therefore modeling immaterial revenue contribution is necessary conservatism. I thought that was really interesting because, you know, back in July, right, it was when Microsoft announced the pricing, right, of some of the tools in around Copilot and we had Salesforce introduce some pricing and, and Adobe on Firefly. And that was kind of it. I think, it, you know, investors were like, okay, well, now we have to see it all happen. There's the pricing. We see how it's going to be intertwined with some of these products and how they're going to sell them. And, and now we have to see what sort of cannibalization we see for other products and the like. So it's interesting to me that that is like so prominent in this list because that would be a massive headwind, right? If costs are still really high in and around Gen AI, but let's say the revenues are not there and thus the profits are going to be hard to kind of realize, at some point that could weigh on mega cap tech valuations. It certainly could. And I go back to, what was it? It was Google a few weeks ago. It had this sort of delayed reaction to its latest large language model. And when the reaction was muted at first, I thought, okay, the market's looking for monetization. They don't really care about these fuzzy new products. But then I think you and I talked about this the next day. That stock was up some 6% or something. So it shows that there is still some buzz. And I think if if rates are going to go lower, that buzz, it gives some allowance to that hype train to continue. Monetization, I think still the big open question is that is this going to create additional monetization or just different, right? Is Adobe, CrowdStrike, some of the others, even Microsoft, right? MongoDB, is it going to replace some of the spending already? And I think that could be something to watch. Yeah, you know, there's a great piece in the information. This was on December 14th. We'll put in the show notes how Google got back on its feet in the AI race uh, early this year. The rise of open AI seemed to spell doom for Google. That's when you and I started covering this pretty closely after that really, I, I think, poor barred rollout. You and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the pod. And to your point about Gemini here, this is what I think this article is focusing on and why it had that initial rally, I guess, a little delayed or so. But, you know, they're putting Gemini into BARD. BARD is that, you know, competitor to chat GPT. And so the question is, is like, how much does it a better compete with ChatGPT, but also maybe cannibalize some of the search that's going on, right, in their own verticals and the like. So, you know, that's something that plays out over, you know, 2024, because it's not just competitive external to these companies, but how does it work within some of their existing products? Well, and I also just want to note, because we are coming off Christmas, at my Christmas dinner last night with a family, <laughs> you know, 20 plus people with a bunch of, you know, kids who are in college and university. Chat GBT, you know, they're all using it. And I think that's just been sort of the incredible thing this year in 2023. I know it was released at the end of 2022, but it's really captured the consumer and people, you know, from an uncle to a cousin to a grandfather knew what it was and is talking about it. When has there been a product like that, right? So it feels like, and this is what investors are banking on, is that the buzz is there and, and the usage is there. So the monetization will have to in some way catch up. I even had a, you know, a nephew who, who pays for GPT-4. But it's, it's interesting. So I pay for it too. I don't use it a whole heck of a lot. And me, it's just more kind of experimenting a little bit and, and kind of, you know, seeing, you know, what the results look like relative to just kind of traditional sort of Google searches. And, and I guess it goes back to that first mover advantage and the name recognition might be huge with that subset that you're talking about who are using it for school and a whole host of other things, right? And so when Google finally has a product that, you know, at least from a review standpoint, seems competitive, then they start competing on price. You know, 
you know, you know what I mean? Like, so it'll be really interesting to see because I don't think that college age students or teens for that matter have this really strong relationship with Microsoft products, right? So if it's integrated within Office and, and, and a bunch of their other tools, to me, it might just be this consumer facing chat GPT app that has this kind of place in their hearts. But once they get into, let's say, school and the workforce and they see the integration in Google's productivity tools, that just might be something that is going to play out in 2024. So like for me, I kind of think that, you know, going back to this story out of the information and the fact that, you know, again, Microsoft's at new all-time highs and Google is still away or Alphabet is still away from them. I think that Alphabet, you know, has the potential to be the outperformer next year, especially from a valuation standpoint. If you think about the multiple appreciation that let's say a Microsoft and some of these other names have experienced, I'd throw Amazon in there too, because of their, you know, kind of bets in gen AI. I don't think it's reflected in Alphabet right now, trading about 21 times next year's expected earnings growth of 20 times. So when you talk about GARP, you know what I mean? Growth at a reasonable price. I mean, Google seems to be tops at the list and still well below its all-time high made in early 2022. And to me, it also has the most negative sentiment around their products in Gen AI. Which to me feels silly, you know, because they've been here and they've been pioneering this technology, but to certain critics point, they weren't able to sort of capture the moment. So that that is fair, but I agree with you in that next year could turn everything on its head. But there's also this question of, are these chatbots going to be commoditized, right? And I go back to our conversation about all of these enterprise software companies in 2021, how excited we were. Remember Zoom video? Now it's out of the NASDAQ 100. The whole reason for being has been commoditized and you can go to any sort of platform to do video calling. And it's so compute intensive, right? These large language models and the chatbots that are produced. But you look at an Apple, right, which hasn't been pushed higher by generative AI hype. And it's doing better than any of the names we mentioned. Um, just, you know, the typical things, not maybe NVIDIA and Tesla. But will Apple be able to come in and build on top of these chatbots, a really interesting consumer product that could capture the generative AI hype cycle as well? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think Apple is obviously a, a little underappreciated. There was some stories last week. I think there was one in Bloomberg talking about like Apple being the least of the Magnificent Seven, only up 50% on the year. Again, this is the first $3 trillion market cap company that we've ever seen. And Microsoft's almost there too now. Um, you know, I, I said this in our pod a couple of weeks ago. I think that at some point, Microsoft probably takes the market cap lead from Apple and keeps going because I think, you know, the jury's still out, you know, as far as what Apple's next platform shift is, this vision Pro that's expected to launch in, in February. I know a lot of folks are very excited about spatial computing, and I know there's going to be a lot of like AI applications that are going to be built in and around it. And you know, this is going to be great for their services if there's uptake, but I'm not sure it's a consumer product outside of gaming right now. And I know that there's a lot of enterprise sort of ideas in and around AR and VR, and then overlaying some, you know, AI sort of generative AI applications, but it really seems like that is kind of ways away. This is kind of minority report sort of stuff, if you will. So I, I throw Apple also in the underappreciated category as long as, as well as Amazon for that matter. And I know that's one that you've looked at very closely for a while and they seem to be playing catch up, but they've obviously, this is a company just not too different than Alphabet that has spent, you know, billions and billions of dollars on machine learning, right? And, and integrating into large parts of their product offerings. And it's not just AWS, right? It's across their retail platform and their media stuff and everything like that. And soon to 
to be their advertising, which has been a behemoth. So thoughts on some of these laggards, I guess, like an Amazon, as you think about as one that, yes, this recent push in the stock, I think, has to do something with the fact that maybe folks are um, thinking that AWS, at least from a growth standpoint, has kind of bottomed out a little bit. And then if they are able to integrate some Gen AI into some of these other products and services, this could be something that could be a boon for Amazon in 2024. It felt like 2023 is the year that Amazon felt like it's had something to prove in generative AI. It's been sort of playing catch up, but they've also been releasing, you know, their own suite of tools. They're doing it a little differently instead of this fuzzy, you know, chat bot of chat GPT or Bard that Google has. They're saying, okay, we're here to serve our enterprise customers and we're going to integrate this throughout many of our products. But e-commerce, I find to be its core, the most interesting story going into 2024. And the entrance of these Chinese e-commerce platforms that we've spent a lot of time talking about. And I just, I wonder how that's going to roll out, how that's going to shape up next year, because they're only getting more competitive, right? And with Shein going public, they've already now sort of perked up the ears of the regulators and they're a Chinese company trying to look like anything but a Chinese company, but you can't do the same with Timu, which is owned by Pinduoduo, which is firmly, firmly a Chinese company. The regulators have just let them grow like crazy and captured the American consumer by storm. And it was originally thought that they would take away market share from the dollar stores, but very much an open question if they're actually infringing on Amazon's territory. I think we'll, we'll maybe get clues next year. Interesting conversation at my Christmas dinner table last night is that a 13-year-old niece was talking about some gifts from Xi'an that she either purchased for others or was wanted for herself. And there was some sort of issue with like fraud. They didn't know if it was real or not. And then my daughter, who's 20, who's a college student, she weighs in, well, you know, fast fashion is horrible for the environment. And she went into all these things. And I said, well, why is that? And then she said, well, a lot of the synthetics that they use in these products and the way that, the, you know, this, I thought it was really kind of interesting. So my takeaway is that the name recognition on Shein was really interesting. But as far as the user experience or the college age kid that she was focused on was not particularly interesting. Hey, listeners, it's Dan here. I want to tell you about a company that I'm really excited about. It's called Current. It's a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. I'm a new Current customer. It's already helping me and my entire family manage our finances, all from one easy-to-use app. So try Current for yourself and get the app by going to current.com slash OK. That's current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. This is also, again, from this RBC report. And they were talking about the digital ad space. And, and I know that there's been a lot of enthusiasm in and around that. But this was number five on the list. In the event of broader consumer slowdown, digital ads may surprisingly outperform. And they go through a, a bunch of reasons. And, you know, there's been a ton of upgrades on Snap over the last month or so. A couple of Pinterest. You see how Meta is back at, at a new 52-week high, still below its all-time highs. And then this is a name that we've talked a lot about in the ad space this year, surprisingly so. Amazon. This was number 
number six on their list. Amazon ads are going everywhere. They're basically saying that Amazon ad demand is outpacing supply, right? So all of a sudden they may have this ad load that they can start putting on places outside of their own platform. And this is again, uh, become a behemoth business, high margin business, right? And it's something that you want to kind of, if, if they're doing 30 plus billion dollars a year in advertising, right? And they're doing what, 85, 90 billion dollars a year on AWS, you can see how even just growing their retail at just, you know, a marginally profitable pace, right? This could be a huge boon for Amazon. That is a great point. And that's why over the last few years, like its core e-commerce business has been sort of the least interesting part of Amazon because it is able to create these businesses seemingly out of thin air. AWS at first, advertising feels like it's going to be another, you know, high margin, high growth billion dollar business just within Amazon that helps it pay for all of these other interesting things, whether that be in e-commerce, video streaming, et cetera, et cetera. But it really works to the Amazon flywheel that we've spoken about, that it's intent-based ads when you go to amazon.com and look for something. But now they have the streaming platform. They have Thursday night football for advertising. And that's what Amazon is so good at. And they spent over the last few years, they spent billions and billions of dollars building out, basically doubling their logistics footprint, right? Their network of warehouses around the country. And what may be most interesting is the advertising business, which was not all that capital intensive, but they work together. They can advertise products. They can advertise the prime subscription and then use what they've been doing in logistics to deliver to all of these customers, new customers, what it be, at least things that are being advertised. This is a good segue to, this was a story in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Uh, we aren't posting on social media as much anymore. Will we ever? And it was interesting because this links into advertising, right? These models are ad-based, right? And so if you think about it, um, you know, 61% of US adult respondents with a social media account said they have become more selective about what they post. And it's interesting because, you know, Elon Musk has wanted to turn Twitter into a subscription-based model. And, and part of that model is that you basically don't see ads if you're paying, right, for a month monthly fee. And then if you think about TikTok and some of the issues that a lot of folks here in the U.S. have, right, about that platform and, and how the algorithm works and, and what we might be seeing because of it, obviously, it's been something that has sucked up a lot of social media ad dollars. I think there's a, probably a decent chance in 2024, if our sort of geopolitical stuff gets kind of dialed up with China, that TikTok ultimately does get banned. And it could be a really interesting topic in an election year, if you think between Trump and Biden. Biden because, you know, Trump had suggested this company be banned. This was years ago, right? And it's just gained more and more influence here in the U.S., both by consumers, but also as an ad platform. But I think about throw in the political advertising sort of standpoint and the issues that we've had on these platforms in the past, and then the issues about trust and safety and then political advertising back on the platform. I feel like this could be a really, really messy year for social media. I don't mean that like we're going to have elections subverted and, and the like, and, and, you know, like we've had like claims of that in the past. But it's interesting to me because I have been off Twitter. I use Instagram a bit more and I don't miss it. I've gone back to my iPhone screens are basically apps for the news organizations that I want to go see. And I'm less and less posting or reposting news stories, right? And so that sort of engagement by people with large followings draws a lot of activity on these platforms and therefore higher ad rates. And I just see like something kind of becoming unwound here a little bit in the social media space. Thoughts on 
that because I think 2024 could be a real seminal year for some of these massive platforms. You give me hope, Dan, that maybe this social media you know, addiction is being curbed, but I suppose I'm more cynical. I think that you don't need to post on social media to necessarily keep the advertising going or even just the addiction to it because you can have a more passive experience and still be served tons of ads, still be you know tricked by generative AI messing up the political space. So I think that I post less and less also, but I'm still on there, I have to say. I also try to look at Instagram. Actually, Facebook Marketplace is my new social media <laughs> go-to. Really? That, that has got me back on Facebook, I will say. I don't go to the news feed. I don't go to anything else. It's funny because I heard that, you know, actually a younger generation is using it, is using Facebook Marketplace. So <laughs> in terms of innovating, maybe there's a new product, but I think you can still have that passive experience. Well, there was also an interesting article in the information, I think it was last week, is can Instagram save the department stores talking about influencer marketing and how influencers are basically using the platform to take orders for products that they like and they're doing it through like bricks and mortar or basically showing up at bricks and mortar and then they're basically showing how you can buy these products. I thought that was kind of interesting too. It just seems like there's a lot of things in a year of 2023, you know, where obviously, you know, Mark Zuckerberg started the year saying, what, what do they call the year of rash? Rationalization, I think, as far as spending efficiency. efficiency, there you go. And, you know, the stock's up 200%. It's very near its all time highs. It's just important to remember when we go back and start of this conversation, we're saying that, you know, what happened in 2022, you know, yeah, the broad markets, you know, closed down, run of the mill, sort of like bear market stuff. But some of the, the, the stocks that had the most enthusiasm from retail investors and large investors and the like here, you know, we're down 70, 80% or so, right? So some of these pandemic darlings, and it wasn't just the Zooms. It was also stocks like Meta and Tesla and Netflix sold off 75% from their 2021 highs. And I just think that's really important to remember that can go the other way too. I think that's what we kind of named our pod two weeks ago. And so when I think about all the enthusiasm heading into year end about all of these stories, I'll just say this is that no one saw the generative AI story being as impactful at the start of this year for the broad markets as it was, right? And then if we think about as we enter into 2024, everybody is convinced that it will continue to play the role that it has, not just in tech, in the economy, but also in the markets. And that's where my antennas kind of go up a little bit on that. So thoughts on that as we kind of close out this pod, the last pod of the year, Debo, because to me, I just think it's really important to keep some content in some memory, right? It goes back to my favorite line from a Pearl Jam song, he who forgets is destined to remember. And, and sometimes, you know, that would be nothing, man, people. And you can call me a nothing, man. That's fine. I'll quote Eddie every day of the week. But it's important, I think, just to kind of remember that just as excited as folks are right now, they were just that pessimistic a little more than a year ago. And here we are. Things got turned upside down in their heads. It's important to remember what goes on in San Francisco, too. And something that we haven't talked a lot about are the people that are fearful of generative AI. I don't want that to play out. I'm nervous for that to play out, but there's a reason that what happened at OpenAI this year happened is that people are scared that the capabilities are going to be so good and so advanced that it could actually have some negative impacts on society. And in an election year, not only just a presidential election in the United States, but elections all over the world, I think that's going to be 
front and center and how companies have advertising, how consumers, social media manage that, that we'll see sort of the second effects of generative AI. This has been the year of hype of getting used to it, of playing with chatbots. Next year, it's going to get serious and it will be fascinating to watch. But I've been, Dan, I've now been in San Francisco covering tech for nearly eight years and what like a roller coaster it's been, right? You think about 2022 when it went down and then just 2023 has been a year that so much has happened. It's hard to believe that it's just been a year when Musk bought Twitter, when you started the pod by saying Silicon Valley Bank went bust, that you had open AI. There's just been so much that it's hard for me to think that next year could top that, but who knows? <laughs> it's probably now I have to knock on wood. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting also that you think about how we got out of the gates in January and February, just the excitement in and around tech. And that's when it became very clear that the, the you know, the mega cap, the, the mag seven, they weren't even called that yet. were going to be the leaders in this, in this rally. And, you know, the fact that they basically buoyed the market, even in that March, April period, even, you know, yeah, they sold off harder than the market in July, August into the lows in October, but they were also the first to come back and first to make new 52 weeks. And then in many cases, you know, all time highs. So this whole notion that the prior leadership will not lead in the next bull market is is kind of being turned upside down on its head again, you know, as we, yes. that's a theme I think that we have here. So again, it'll be interesting to see if we do see a broadening out. I know there's a lot of folks saying that there's been money flowing into small caps and banks and, you know, other areas that might do well in a lower rate environment. We'll see. I, I think it's going to be a bit more volatile next year. And I think some of the horses that got us here might not be the ones that are the ones that are going to get it done next year. But again, who knows? I think a lot of it will have to do with the macro and again, an increasingly volatile geopolitical environment. So who knows, Debo? Um, Well, listen, we covered a lot of ground here. I really appreciate you being with me on the day after Christmas. I hope you and your family are having a great time. I really, really can't thank you enough for your contributions to the pod in 2023. And we hope that you will continue to do that in 2024 with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I look forward to whatever is thrown at us in 2024. Really appreciate it. Listen, and also to our listeners, we really appreciate you being here. It's been a great year on the pod. We've had a, a tremendous growth in the pod and, and of users and just the sort of folks that it's reaching. And then obviously, thanks to all these amazing guests that we've had throughout the years, my friend Rick and Katie and Jeff and uh, a whole host of others, Joe, they've been here all year for me and Dan and suggesting a bunch of great guests and great topics. So thanks a lot. We got a lot more in store for 2024. So Debo, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the week with your family. And thanks everyone for being here here. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.